This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hey, Andrew. Hi, Craig. It's July. Again? Which means... (laughs) It was July last year. I know, and that means there's only six months left to turn your 2020 idea into a 2020 website with the folks at Squarespace. Andrew? I'm I'm glad they want me to stay current. I'm glad they don't want me to turn my 2020 idea into like a 2017 website. No, they're keeping it current with beautiful <laughs> templates created by world-class designers, analytics to help you grow in real time. 2020 is a real time, if you can believe it. It There's is a real, it's, it's been a real time. <laughs> they have free and secure hosting and 24-7 award-winning customer support. I believe those 24 and that 7 uh, is included in 2020 here with Squarespace. Mm-hmm. If you want to turn your 2020 idea into a 2020 website, go to squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the off code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. If it helps to remember 10%, it's half of 20. <laughs> Make it. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Fireworks. <laughs> no, my name's Andrew. Well, uh, all I can hear are fireworks. Midway through this episode, if your voice just becomes a barrage of fireworks, don't be surprised. Yeah, so it's it's July 4th as we're recording this. Even if it wasn't July 4th, there'd be a pretty good chance of fireworks, like living in an American city at this time. Yes, just means fireworks it means constant fireworks every night for no reason even before the sun goes down and it's totally fine and it hasn't woken my baby up at all and it's totally i'm not on edge not at all i'm in a really good headspace to do a podcast it's great i'm so i've never been happier (laughs) (laughs) we will talk about my sister the serial killer by oyinkan braithwaite i did go outside against my better judgment to watch what was happening in the park next to our house Laura and I felt I, like going to observe it would be would be read by the fireworks as a tacit endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. The, I, uh, we mostly needed to see who was setting them off just to be like, okay, all right, I I know who it is now. Not that we could even see who they were because it was you know nine o'clock at night. But yeah, but it, like they'll get theirs. They know who they know yes. who they are. They know what they did. I did have to leave because there's just a lot of trees in the park, and I can't I can't with them being so close to the trees. It makes me very nervous. Let alone the houses. Trees are made of firewood. Have you heard this? Hey, wait, <laughs> huh? Have you heard about that? Mm-hmm. They're made of it. A yeah, yeah. If you cut a tree down, what is it? It's firewood. Whoa. Trees are made of firewood. Huh. You could also think of it as like trees are made of like a million little toothpicks wrapped in a wrapper. And you just haven't liberated them yet. Could I also think of trees as a bunch of pages, unwritten pages of my book, the story of my life? Uh, This is the first time I've heard about this. But like jammed together. And it's a real pulpy novel, so it's really jammed together into a tree. <sighs> yes, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. you want to tell me no, about I, a book? No, I started, I started this, and I'm happy that we've gotten here. Great. Uh, like we do every week, one of us is going to tell the other about a book that they read for the very first time. Usually, that's the rule. Um, and Andrew, you read again? Yeah, I read My Sister the Serial Killer by Oyen Braithwaite. Great. And yeah, it's... 
it is simultaneously light and not. It is light insofar as it is a fast read, and it is not insofar as it is called My Sister the Serial Killer, and the contents of the book match the title. <laughs> okay, it's an aft title. You don't, you don't yeah. always get those, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but in this case, um, Oingan Braithwaite is a contemporary Nigerian author um, who... What she's she was born in 1988 on the born on the train of things making us feel bad. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about it. Uh, she's she was born in Lagos in Nigeria, but she spent a lot of her childhood in London, then moved back to Lagos in 2012. This book is set in Lagos in Nigeria. Like there's one reference to the guy who is currently president. So okay, and also lots of references to like Snapchat and, and Instagram <laughs> and things. Like you know, this is not a period piece. Okay, okay, okay. Um. Uh, she also went to that Iowa Writers Workshop that we talked about in yes. a recent episode. Um, this is her first novel, I believe, and her second book overall. She wrote a short story collection called The Driver back in 2010. Um, this book was longlisted for the 2019 Booker Prize and won the 2020 Crime and Thriller Book of the Year Award at the British Book Awards. Yes. So it is, it's been well-received. It was on a... There, was, there were some tweets going around just... Um, a few weeks ago of books by um, authors of color, particularly black authors. And this was one of them. Like uh, Craig and I had looked at that link and just like picked three or four of those yeah. that will end up showing up on the show sometime as the, as the year goes on. And yeah, this one, the title really grabs you, doesn't it? It does. It's huh? really evocative, isn't it? And I was, I, I pulled up a couple of reviews just so that we knew, you know, trying to program different types of books for the show, that it was like listed among some other crime novels, that it was some sort of thriller, that a bunch of the reviews called it like comic or funny or at least like humorous despite its obvious subject matter. Like that is always something that is a little different. Um, and yeah, she just seems like an interesting new author. Like there is a growing, uh, like roster of Nigerian authors. We've talked about Nadia Korfor, um, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Um, we've read some Chinua Achebe, but that's like older. That's several decades yeah, that's ago. Yeah, from a while ago. Um, and their public publishing industry has been growing in the last few decades. And um, so it's, it's just interesting to encounter these contemporary authors um, who are like making a splash and are, are you know, expanding, I think, as, as I was reading, the types of genres that are on offer and that it is not just, you know, they're not all writing in response to Chinua Achebe, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a pitfall that we as Western readers can expect of them. You know, if we bring that expectation to the table, that's not going to be helpful. Sure. Um, she did say in an interview on a website on the on the ladies' room um, that when she was starting her career, because she went into she had a publishing gig, she was doing a lot of freelance writing. She spoke in a couple interviews about using freelance writing as just like, hey, I got to write to get food. Like I can't be precious about what I'm trying to accomplish. Um, apparently, this book was written in about eight weeks, at least for its first draft. Um, but she said that part of the reason she struggled uh, was that because she moved back and forth from London to Nigeria um, or England to Nigeria and the expectations she put on herself, were her stories Nigerian enough? Was it literary enough? Were her words deep enough? Um, It just seems like she 
said, I don't know, I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> and I'm going to write a thing that is interesting to me. Yeah, in her, in the um, the special thanks bit at the end of the book that you, you often get with these, um, she says, like it ends specifically with, thank you to Ayobama Adebayo for taking the time to add the accents to my Yoruba. One day I shall be as fluent as a Lagos goat. <laughs> so <laughs> she's, yeah, so she is self-conscious enough about her pronunciation and her dialect to to get it checked by somebody. So that's, yeah, that goes to the point you were just making. Um, and she did say that this book came out of a couple different places um, she, she had written, she's written some poetry also. Um, she wrote, said she wrote a poem in 2007 about two friends this is from an interview in the LA review of books. Um, the way you started that was just like, she said she wrote a poem in 2007, <laughs> end of sentence. Uh, she wrote a poem in 2007 that was about two friends and the relationship of the characters in the poem was somewhat similar to that of the characters in this book but unlike with a friendship you don't get to choose who your siblings are you are stuck with them from the get-go and something about this is fascinating especially because your siblings have a huge impact on who, who you will become as someone who has been friends with you for a decade and a half what is uh. it like what is it like that one seems blurry to me with some friends that I you know, like you're just friends with them forever now. <laughs> it's true that, for example, and I he might listen, but probably he doesn't. Uh, we have a friend named Rob. Oh, gosh. Who we love so dearly. He's so sweet, but he's also a force of chaos and uh, entropy in all our lives. Like, yeah. just for just for instance, he was in uh, the wedding party at my wedding. And by the end of the photo shoot with all the, you know, the whole wedding party and the whole family and everybody, uh, the photographers knew my name and knew Susanna's name and knew Rob's name. And those were the names that they knew at my wedding because they had to directly address him so many times at my wedding. Rob, who had brought a camera, basically tried to merge like his consciousness with the actual man we hired to be our photographer mm-hmm. and just like like a sucker fish just kind of leached onto him for the entirety of the ceremony and reception yeah so like these sound like pretty negative reviews like <laughs> of two our star friend reviews rob. of our friend rob but that's not i feel five stars about him yes out of that's fi- true out of a possible that's true. five then that's what it's like having a friend who becomes like a, a relative yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Where, but I, I do really understand what she's saying in terms of like, yeah, you have siblings and they're just like yours, and you do, I don't know, you got it. Stuff happens, and you're still gonna be their sibling regardless. So, but it, it with this book, she's obviously focused not on people that you could choose to be with, but you know, people who are related to you. And there was a, a crime reads interview where she actually talked about her own siblings, which have obviously come up in a couple of different interviews, given how heavily the sisters feature in this book. Um, And she said, I have two sisters and a brother. At first, one of my sisters liked to tell people that she was the inspiration for the novel, but it wasn't (laughs) long before her tune changed. She did not find it as entertaining that when asked which of my sisters was the serial killer, those those who knew us a little guessed that it was her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that really gets to... I don't know, like you can joke about how you think people perceive you, but then when you find out that it's how they actually yep. like seriously perceive you, then it starts to become a problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but she also, there was another interview you wanted to mention, Andrew, about like the way that siblings are treated specifically 
in Nigeria or the characters yeah, in the book? It's, it's a, it, it has to do with, it's so, you know, the book is called My Sister, the Serial Killer. So obviously you've got a sister involved. <laughs> and so you've got siblinghood involved. And so this is an NPR interview that she did talking about this book. She says, um, you know, it's a huge, especially here in Nigeria, being the firstborn is a huge, huge role. It's a huge responsibility. It's a big deal. You're treated from the get go. You're treated differently. You know, there's a kind of proverb here. I'm not sure what language it's in, but where they say the eldest child is the one that opened the womb. I think even a lot of people have spoken to me about, oh, yes, they're an older sibling and they understand what Korede was going through. <laughs> so I think a lot of people do feel the sense of responsibility for their younger one, meaning their younger sibling. Um yeah, so that's really the dynamic. Is uh, let, let, so let's get into it. Unless yep. you have more stuff, yeah, go for it. Um, this book is primarily about two sisters. It's told from the perspective of Karede, who is the older sister, and um, the serial killer who is in the title. Uh oh, Siri popped off. <laughs> <laughs> She's just listing movies about killers. Oh, no. (laughs) Siri, do not participate in our podcast. You're not allowed. No, I don't want to hear any more movies. (laughs) That's pretty good, actually. That might stay in. I don't know. We could be a loose edit. Um, uh, But her younger sister is the serial killer referenced in the title. Just looking at my... Okay. I threw my phone back back far away from me, and I think we're going to be fine now. Um, Ayula is her younger sister's name. And so the book opens, and the the way the book is structured is it's all from Karede's perspective, and it's split up into a ton of little tiny chapters that all have like a one-word name. And something I really liked about the book is that most of the chapters have this sort of self-contained quality, especially like in the beginning and through the middle of the book where they like, some of them are only one page. Some of them are like, I I think the longest is like 10 or 11 pages, at least, you know, as is, as was measured by my Kobo app. Like they're pretty, they're pretty small. Um, and yeah, they like, you could read them independently and, and you would have most of the context that you would need to have like a really effective little short story in there. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, because in the, the the way the book is structured, you're just like jumping around in time a lot. You're jumping around in location a lot. Um, but the way the book opens is Ayla has called Karede, um to help her with something because Ayula has stabbed and killed a man who she's been seeing for about a month. Only a month. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um and Karede comes over very dutifully and not unskillfully cleans the apartment of the man's blood. Oh. She knows what she's doing vis-a-vis getting rid of blood. And then they move his body to her car, drive over one of the lesser used bridges in the area and throw his body into the river. And so that's how that's how the book opens. And then as you start to get more information from uh Karede about Ayla's past and what they have been through you learn that this is the third person who Ayla has killed the third man like all all pretty similar circumstances like she stabs the man with a knife that used to be their father's 
Um, she claims it is in self-defense. Obviously, uh, Kareda cannot get the other side of the story because the man is dead every time. Okay. <laughs> um, even though, even even at the beginning, I think Kareda, like, she, she knows that some of the facts don't line. Like, why would this man have, like, a wound in his back if... If it was, yeah, this was sure, like a self-defense. sure. So she, so she knows something is going on, but it's her little, little sister. This has happened before. She feels very protective of her um, for reasons that we learn, you know, later on, and we can get into a little bit later. Um, and, and yeah, so she's um, Karede has looked up the number of people you have to kill to be qualified as a serial killer, <laughs> just like technically, like definitionally, like googling and, it. Yeah, and Great. Isla has just and you know I've seen this episode of whatever like CSI yes. show. Yes. You don't want to Google serial killer on your computer. Nope. After a member of your family has serial killed somebody. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so Isla with this third person has technically crossed the line into serial killer territory. Oh gosh. Okay. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so. What is Ayula actually telling Karede, like, aside from self-defense? Is she a, is she attempting to justify anything, or is it really just like, hey, I'm going about my life, and I'm going to call you when I'm in trouble? Well, so, she uh, Ayula is shallow, I guess you would, you would say, okay. or at least she, she presents as, as very, like, superficial and, um, like obsessed with appearance uh Karede tells us a few times throughout the book that though they are related oh man i threw my phone and that's where all my quotes are <laughs> okay <laughs> i feel like it's going well we're just trying to do it while we're while we're basically on a like a raft ride like stuff mm. is just happening around <laughs> us yeah so okay i have my phone back i just have to not say the title of the book or the thing that Ayla has done <laughs> so I don't set off my phone's virtual assistant. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> but so yeah, um Karede is is pretty upfront about the the way their looks have been perceived like basically their entire lives. Um she says the resem- the resemblance is there. We share the same mouth, the same eyes, but Ayla looks like a brat's doll and I resemble a voodoo figurine. <laughs> Whoa! That's very illustrative. That's very illustrative. One of these kids will love this one. Do you? Th- oh man! What and if- it's also like um, uh, Isla's skin is is a lot lighter than Kareda's okay. too, which is it's not. I mean, it, it is com- a skin tone is commented on a few times. Like it's not central to mm-hmm. the story, but it is always present in the background, as okay. I think is is the experience of a lot of of black people so yeah i was on a less serious note i was just thinking about how many years are going to go by before a bunch of novels start referencing funko pops like i mean i would hope that the answer is none of them so we so we're living in an age of where where gatekeepers have less power than they than they ever have. <laughs> yeah, right? that's true. But I've got to I've got to think that the gatekeepers who are left are strong enough to keep people who collect Funko Pops from publishing books. <laughs> I I'm willing to die and on that I, hill. If, 
if you if you are a listener of ours and you collect Funko Pops, like I have an Amiibo collection. I have like 10 modded Game Boy Advances in my closet. Like we all have our stuff. So yes. this is coming from a place of love also. But maybe your ideas should not be allowed to mm. proliferate into the mainstream <laughs> is all I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, so, Ugh, so their relationship else. is defined uh, by the fact that one of the sisters is a serial killer. Uh, that they um, match different beauty standards, uh, like external in society. Are there any like internal family dynamics in terms of the hierarchy? Like, what's the deal with their parents? Et so, um, their dad's been dead for about a decade. He used to be a politician, and so they're and so they're used to thinking about appearances and also like a certain standard of, of living. Like they're relatively well off, even though he's gone. Um, and their mother who still lives with them, they all live together in the, in the house that their dad left behind. Um, their mother is very much like Isla's the baby and you're, you're the baby. I'm the baby. You're the baby. So you know what that is. Like anytime Kurede tries to offer, perfectly valid and supported by the facts criticism of anything that Isla has ever done. The mom is like, why would you say that about your sister? You're so terrible. (laughs) So these roles that they're, these roles that they're in are reinforced by their, their home life. Um, I am doing a thing where I'm filling in the author's age of like early thirties as a default for the book. Is that accurate or I, th- I think roughly like, okay. Um, Isla, like to the extent that she has a job, she's sort of like a freelance seamstress and Instagram influencer. Heck like yeah. that's kind of what she is, has going on. And then, um, Corey is a nurse at a local hospital who is like, just like, Oh, as the book is, happening she's like just been promoted to head nurse so i think early 30s feels about right for that like time like like that point in your career i guess sure 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 where you would start to be able to assume uh higher levels of authority but you would not have been there forever well and you've invested the time to get there so the idea of it some like suddenly becoming in jeopardy just as you're getting it might be kind of frustrating um especially if the reason that it might be in jeopardy is that your sister's a serial killer and you're using your skills as a nurse to clean it all up i'm just (laughs) i'm just inferring based on what you said so far so karete is is having she's having a lot of doubts because isla doesn't seem to get back to i think the question that started this little tangent isla does not seem super affected by this like she is home wanting to post like she starts without asking anybody, like posting a thing about how her boyfriend is missing. Whoa. And the, the the thought being like, if I killed him, I wouldn't be posting about how he's missing, right? Like that that would just that would be stupid. Like if I said I was the last one who saw him, but I was his murderer, why would I do that? And so yeah, ten dimensional chess or whatever. Oh my god. Um but she and then um Karede has to like poke her several times after that to be like, yeah, don't post a picture of like you out with some other guy. Don't post a picture of you partying. Like you're supposed to be sad that your boyfriend is missing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so yeah, I, Isla doesn't, 
it does not seem like the thing that she has done is bothering her that much. And that is, you know, aside from the fact that, that Isla is a serial killer in the first place, that is one of the things that's, that's eating at Corede is like, she is like, she doesn't seem, I am taking this harder than she is. Like I am reading this guy's like poems on his blog and paying attention to like his sister's efforts to find him on social media and whatever. And Isla doesn't seem like she cares at all. Um, so it's really, it's really weighing on her. And then also there's, there's somebody at the hospital where she works who, uh, was in a car accident and is in a coma and they, nobody thinks he's going to wake up. Like they think he's just kind of going to be in a coma until it's time to unplug him. Um, and so she has gotten into the habit of going into his room and sort of venting to him. Great place and to I, vent. You could, yeah. And you could probably see where that's going. Like she, she, the only person who she tells that her sister is a serial, serial killer is this coma patient. So you, you can probably imagine where that's going to go just by your knowledge of how narrative works. Yeah. So that, that gets to something. You're not going to have like Chekhov's coma patient not go off in the third <laughs> act that gets to something i saw in a couple different reviews the most the the majority of which at at, at least at larger outlets seem to be like a really rock solid four four and a half star review yeah even if they yeah. don't have a rating which are basically like like these characters a lot or really like their relationship or like or the even like, tone. like the quality of the writing yeah um the new york times quote that i pulled talks a lot about the sense of momentum in the book which i think you were talking about when you were mentioning the structure um, yeah it goes it goes by super quick um the kobo reading app bothers me a lot but one thing i do <laughs> like is that it tells me how long it took me to read a book and it's like 1.9 hours from oh that's not bad this. yeah i love to measure hours using the decimal system yeah, that's yeah, that makes a lot of to sense. Me. Mm-hmm. Um, the New York Times said, uh, "There's a seditious pleasure in its momentum at a time when there are rich, when there are such wholesome and dull claims on fiction on its duty to ennoble or train us in empathy. There's a relief in encountering a novel faithful to art's first imperative to catch and keep our attention." And that's like the really positive compliment that comes after a paragraph where it's like, yeah, I could kind of see where this was going. The book moves a little fast for like really deep characterization to happen. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but that and also like sense of sense of place like you do. Oh, OK. Get a, a sense of Lagos as a place where like the cops are all on the take and some people by dint of of their family or their money get more serious murder investigations than other people but aside from like the hospital and their house you do not spend a lot of time anywhere sure 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 so Um, did you find the like is there a is there like a like a a thriller-esque kind of like turn or two at the end or how what how does it yeah i feel like i mean i've seen it qualified as a as a thriller or as like a mystery novel even well not a mystery just a thriller i I don't think thriller is 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 even useful necessarily right because i like what do you think of when you think of a thriller like i think of something where i'm being surprised at every turn by the events that are happening like i'm being i'm being literally thrilled by the surprises (laughs) and the roller coaster-esque 
but it's not necessarily. But this is this is just like uh, it, it is a couple of character studies. Okay. With high stakes, like juxtaposed against each other, I think. Sure. Literally, the only story I I can point to confidently and say, "Hey, that's a thriller," is the movie Collateral with Tom Cruise and Jamie Fox, and it's the okay. only story I've ever felt confident calling a thriller because there's, as I recall, there's not like a real central mystery. It's just a man terrorizes a guy driving a cab to make him do a bunch of crimes and they spend the whole movie together doing escalatingly worse crimes and then the movie's over kind of like you know action movie style Uh, did you ever see that movie where it's like a couple of (laughs) teens or early 20 somethings and they're they're in a car and they have like a ham a cb radio and they like make fun of a creepy trucker who then like pursues them relentlessly no. <laughs> for the duration of the movie. Oh no. I saw it on TV with my dad as like a teenager. Yeah. I still think about it sometimes. Because it's really creepy. Phone booth might be a thriller. Mm. That's a movie that takes place in a phone booth. It's a real time. Weirdly the music video for the song Thriller is not, not that thrilling. Thriller. They do just do a dance, a zombie dance. <laughs> um so okay, so this is character studies uh rather than a thriller or a mystery how does that work for you or what you know like does their relationship change significantly does it just kind of come to an end as the events of the book conclude so let's okay let's talk about what what is happening so um at the hospital where Karede works there is a doctor named Tade who is very he, he is we when we meet him he is like soothing and singing to a child to make them feel better about being at the hospital. So he's and a so good that is, guy. <laughs> yeah. You're supposed, you're supposed to get a, a feeling that he's a good guy and he says very nice things to Karate and she has a major crush on him. And then Isla comes to the hospital to see Karate and he, Tade sees Isla and is immediately smitten because she looks like a Bratz doll. Oh no. And so uh, Karate has to watch as her sister treats like absolute dirt the man who she's been harboring this crush for for like months. Um, Does she treat like, him like dirt and then put him in the dirt? We'll talk about it. <laughs> okay. uh, but Tade sends her, he sends her like a bou- a nice bouquet of flowers. And instead of like thanking him and being flattered. She texts him. I really prefer roses with a period in between every word. (laughs) No. And then he sends her roses. (laughs) And so you, and and so Karede is mad about this turn of events because she was crushing on him. She is mad that she has to confront this this idea that this guy who she put up on a pedestal and thought was like deeper and better than this really just is a sucker for a pretty face, just like every man she's ever met. And she also has this layer of, you know, my sister's boyfriends have a a way of turning up serial killed. Huh. And so that's <laughs> so I need to. I have an altruistic reason to try and push them apart. It's not purely selfish. Oh, it's that's not just, interesting. It's not just about how I absolutely hate that they're together and how could he not notice me who's so nice and who has been so nice to him. That's that's cool. All right, that's a cool conflict to have inside of a person. Um, 
I dig it. And it's like it's like Isla is basically radioactive. Like if someone is with her for too long, they're gonna get murdered. Yeah, I mean there there is a after the boyfriend who she kills at the beginning, and then before. Well, I mean, while she is courting Tade, really, she is briefly dating this rich dude who is also married and they go on a trip together and he dies of what she describes as food poisoning and the media describes as a drug overdose. Huh. But what a what a coinky dink, you know? Huh. Hmm. Does Braithwaite take pains to or does or should you just kind of leave up to your imagination whether or not these men are bad? Like I mean, and I'm not trying to even like pass judgment on the events of the book. I'm just interested in like what is no, she I'll, writing about? I'll tell you how how Karede feels about them. Okay, like sure. she she feels like the first two dudes especially were just like bad dudes. Like they she could believe that Ayla had killed them in self-defense. Like they they were kind of slimy and you know, they were just they were men. Yeah. Basically. Sure. They were on the lower end of average for a man. Okay. But and Crady um, could could imagine something bad happening that would necessitate some sort of violence. Cetera, yeah, and then okay. I mean with the with this the person who Isla is killed at the beginning of the book, like she's reading this guy's poetry and she has looked at photos of him and it just something seems a little off about the self-defense narrative. But it's definitely, especially in the case of of Tade, it's like he is being like a smack in the middle of average man. Like he is essentially okay as a person. Um, He's good at his job. He's like empathetic. He is not completely um, blind to what his courtship of her sister is doing to Kurede. Okay. Um, I mean, he's not, it's not a top of mind for him. <laughs> no, because he's like still, it. what, what is that top of mind is still like the Bratz doll. Yeah. Aesthetic. But you know, he, he is, he, he's not abusive. You know, he's, he is not as bad as y- you would think. Sure. It might be for this sort of self-defense thing to be justified. So, yeah. Does that answer your question? It does. It does. There was um, a, an interview with The Guardian where someone asked her, some people find the fact that your novel focuses on a female character who uses her perceived fragility to kill men as feminist. Do you agree? Which is a really, <laughs> like, one load. That's a cannon load of a question. You can't. I mean, you can't boil that down to yes or no either. Do you agree? And I really, her answer is pretty good. I wasn't trying to write a feminist novel, but if it gives the reader a sense of freedom, if it reveals to them that strength can show up in the oddest places and in the weirdest of ways, if it shows that women can be as dangerous and harmful as men then i believe that it is these elements and not necessarily the quote killing of men that gives it its feminist sense (laughs) i like her she seems very charming in all of the content i consumed to prep for this she's Mm -hmm. she seems rad um so how does what how does this tade thing progress uh so let's go back to chekhov's coma oh oh, he wakes up and he calls Kareda in and he's like, hey, uh, thanks for talking to me this whole time. 
you re- I think you helped save me, honestly. And also, you told me that your sister is a serial killer? No! <laughs> he was listening the whole time! Was he, like, locked so this, in? Doesn't matter. So this is this sets up a... This sets up, like, the last third of the book. Where, okay. Where the things that are happening is, are... Isla and Tade are dating. Um... This guy knows Kreide's deal. He doesn't seem like he's going to tell anybody, but he is he's in a unique position as an ex, as a person external to the situation who can try to help Kreide figure out like the morality of it all. Oh god. And so what ends up happening is Ayula stabs he, she tries to attack Tade and he turns it around and stabs her with the knife that she was coming at him with. Mm. And so it was an altercation, but it does seem like, and, and so Tati has been set up as believable enough, honest enough that when he says, you know, I, this was not, I was attacked. Like this was, this was not me like beating a woman and her drawing a knife on in, in self-defense. Like she had a knife with her when she came over to my place and then this is what happens. So you, you, the reader, I think are like, you know, that Iola is just killing guys at this point. Okay. Okay. That is, that is how it's been set up. And so what, what is like, Tade doesn't die. Isla doesn't die. So what you are set up with is the situation that Karede is in, which is this guy that she likes, who is essentially an okay guy has been like, he, he tried to, he he stabbed her sister, and so does Karede toe the the party line, protect her sister like she has always done, and say, "Oh, you know, Tade, like I either either be like a neutral and let uh, Ayla's version of the truth like just stand as it is, or does she say, I know my sister is a killer." She has killed other guys before, and I have reason to believe that she is just attacking dudes for no reason. Um, yeah. Cool. Is that how the and the book hangs on how she's going to answer that question for herself? Yeah. So it's yeah. It's this is a conversation between her between Karede and Ayula. Um, where she said, Karede says, Ayula, listen to me. You will ruin that man's life. Talking about Tade. It's him or me, Karede. Ayula, you can't sit on the fence forever, says Ayula to Karede. So it's really asking her, you know, you, you, have, you have helped me do this thing three different times. You've protected me. You can't, like, you can't have it both ways. Either you are protecting me because that is our dynamic and that is our relationship, or you have to just like say what you think happened and hand me in basically. Okay. Um, so, I mean, do you want me to reveal the decision that she makes in the end? I, I guess to talk about the dynamics, I'd sort of have to. Yeah. I think this could but, be, a- but I can talk around it if he, if we absolutely don't want to spoil it. No, I think we can spoil it. I think we've talked a lot about the book that if somebody is like, piqued their interest they can go get it it sounds like they can read it in 1.9 hours so um 
they can they can like hit pause on our podcast. Can I just ask a question about how Create functions as kind of like a buffer to the spoiler itself? Because this gets to that. Sure. Um, so the LA Review of Books interview talks about Create being complicit in the murders um, without being a perpetrator. And uh, Braithwaite says, I quickly realized that in order to do justice to my vision of Isla, the story could not be from her point of view. Uh, Karede is not a catalyst in the story. She finds herself responding to things that are done to her and around her, even in the manner the manner in which she tells the story. It is almost without feel, feeling. She is merely an observer, so though it is written in the first person, there is something of the third person about it. Did you experience it that way? Did you experience Karede as like very passive or... I wouldn't... I don't know that I would say passive. Here's another quote from, from Braithwaite. Um, I th- from that same NPR interview I quoted earlier, I think. Sure. Um, dueling quotes. I, dueling quotes from the author to, <laughs> to describe what is going on. Because Isla is a certain type of way, Karede becomes a certain kind of way. And because Karede is a certain kind of way, Isla is frozen in this place where she's used to being protected and she's used to behaving very much like a child. And Braithwaite just talks about how Isla, like, Isla is the one murdering. And Karede yeah. is just cleaning up after her. But this dynamic is established enough that Isla knows she can do it and get away with it because her sister has helped her do it. And so passive insofar as she is not actively killing people, sure, but not I mean, but active in the sense that what is going on in the book and what Isla is doing to people would not be possible without Karede's. Yeah, cool. cool and I cool. think that I think that's where we're supposed to come down. Okay, sweet. So, um, but Karede does does come down on on Isla's side. Like Tade is, he is immediately fired and he is imprisoned for probably a few months. Like it, it is not. He could be dead, and so it's not that. Okay, but. And this um, this coma patient who Karate has been talking about, like he is he is discharged. He gives he divorces his wife, who clearly kind of wanted him to die because she wanted the money, and then he didn't die, and then they got divorced. So it's setting up this possibility where Karate could Karate always overlooked by men in favor of her beautiful younger sister could with this man who already knows everything kind of have an easy on ramp into a comfortable relationship. Like the book ends with Karede, like burning the piece of paper with his phone number on it and just kind of accepting that her relationship with Isla is what it is. And she can't having, having done it, having supported her already, she can't back away from it. I want to say this is one thing that I have sort of neglected to to talk very much about so far as you do get flashbacks to when they were teenagers when their when their father was still alive and you see their father like bringing his mistress home okay and having sex with her in his and his wife's bedroom while his wife kind of rends her garments outside um you get like powerful allies of her father coming over and making eyes at Ayula. Like, so Karede has this both as the older sibling and as a result of these things that they experienced as kids, she has this like deep impulse to 
protect Isla from men who are going who are going to do bad things to her. Okay, and and um, to abandon that would be to abandon who she is. Yeah, well, it, yeah, to 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 do that would basically invalidate all the other times she had she had done it. Like, why? Huh. Yeah, she's pot committed. Why, <laughs> but yeah, like, why protect her from? If you turn her in now, like, what was the point of protecting Isla from their abusive father or from sure. his political allies or from these other dudes who she thinks maybe weren't as you know as good or as like innocent i guess as as tade was hmm. um and so one assumes that she is just going to spend the rest of her life as she spends most of this book which is not stopping isla from from doing things because she can't really but just worrying every time isla isla is with another guy like is it going to end the same way all these other things have ended and and how long can that go on? Wow! But she com- she commits herself basically to to being on the ride. I what, suppose you'd say what a team player, right? Yeah, it is. Oh no, mm-hmm. that's pretty much the yeah. book. I yeah. mean, do you have other do you have other thoughts? It, it's it is a is a short read. It is everything the reviews the, the stuff about it being a thriller, or whatever. But the stuff about being it being like dark comedy, I definitely sure sure would agree with. Um, the, um, that thing about the, the Bratz doll and the voodoo doll, I think is a, is a good yeah, example of how it is darkly funny mm. a lot of the time. Um, one of the reviews that really liked the sisters and their relationship, um, this was the Guardian review, said that it ultimately tries to do too much and doesn't deliver on the conceit. Like, it's like, there are too many threads. It does not sound like that was your experience at all. It sounds like you found it actually pretty like lean and direct or no yeah i mean i i will say i i think that the the coma patient is a little easy okay as sure. a as a as a way to set up this like moral dilemma like this this way to make kareda explicitly make a choice mm, this okay. coma patient who she tells everything and then he wakes up and then he remembers everything is just a little pat, I guess. Yeah, but, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to mm. say I didn't find the rest of it effective. Like, like all, all narratives have contrivances that you and have it to, is tied to, to her, your disbelief for. Yeah, it is yeah. tied to her workplace and tied to her job, which is also her connection to Tade. So like there are, there is connective tissue there. Um, but yeah, it's not like someone that she had a previous relationship with or, or something like that. Um, yeah, I can I just read some some examples please. of of Braithwaite's prose here. Um, this is uh, this is about their childhood and a classmate of theirs like professing uh, his love for Isla. Uh, she was moved by all this, but then Isla is always moved by the worship of her merits, and so she agreed <laughs> to be his woman. Okay. Uh so that that one is good. Um most of the the like Goodreads reviews I found praise the writing and the language and the the humor. Um that nobody anybody who like had like a like the three star reviews were mostly like eh towards the end I could kind of see where it was going and that actually wasn't what I wanted. Um mm-hmm. 
or that the 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 leanness of the novel meant that people wanted more character development than they got. Yeah. So so this quote this this will be the last one that I have. But but read this with the under hear this with the understanding that the book begins with a phone call. Is Isla is trying to call Karede. And Kareda is not picking up. Maybe she's reaching out because she sent another man to his grave prematurely, or maybe she wants to know if I can buy eggs on the way home. Either way, I'm not picking up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fun. The mm-hmm. the the there was a good review from Roxanne Gay actually, who hmm. noted the the social media stuff, um, and said that you know it was a clever novel about two sisters, one of whom is a serial killer, one of whom is a yearning enabler. Um, and seemed to like it. So if if that's a tastemaker you trust more than us. Sure. Maybe go there. But Yeah. That's what I got. I enjoyed this book. Would you protect me if if I did these things, Andrew? Mm-hmm. You're oh you're sort of like my older brother. So <laughs> Right? But Think about that. I guess I am, but also in our dynamic, you are usually the one who needs to tell me to take a breath. Oh, okay. So, mm. so I'm I'm quicker to anger than you. Oh crap! You're right. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> you would so be I the one. Like who I, I don't. First. I don't. I honestly, even though you were younger than me, by the laws of Kronos, the time god, <laughs> you. I don't think our I don't think our dynamic and our relationship cleanly maps to older. Younger. No, it doesn't. It Except doesn't, insofar actually. as I am actually literally the oldest sibling and you are actually the youngest. Yeah, that's true. Which does give you kind of a I'm the baby. Gotta love I me think quality that, I think, that, yes. that you can't shake. I think that do, and that gives you a little bit more like I got to figure this stuff out and like get take care of it before anyone can let it go wrong. And like. Those are, I think, if if we have two older, younger anchor points, those are they. And you're right that the other elements of this relationship probably do not cleanly map to it. Because yeah, maybe you would be the one to quicker murder someone. This podcast isn't submissible as evidence to anything. No, I, I mean, I feel like I would, I would come to you saying, "Hey, I'm thinking about murdering somebody. <laughs> I know it's probably a bad idea, but can we just talk through this?" And I would say, and would, would punching prob- them make you feel better? Hmm. And would they understand what the punch meant when you did mm. it? And if I punch them like in the heart, yeah, and k- kill them, Uh-oh. would that be would that be an acceptable outcome? Hmm. I have to think on this one. Talk That's to my lawyer. Dark. My my podcast co-host, the serial killer. Oh gosh! Don't turn on your phone. Um, if you, the listener, want to go read this book and tell us about it, tell us what you think. Um, you can do that. You can send us an email at OverduePod. Do what you want. I don't care. <laughs> you can send us an email at OverduePod at gmail.com. Um, that's our email address. Thanks to everyone uh, who's been reaching out on social media and via email. Our social media handles are at OverduePod on Facebook and Twitter. Um, thanks to uh, who do we got? Jennifer, Dom, Louisa, Ainsley, Rafaela, Mitch, Rebecca, Glenn, Andy, Kate, Ricardo, Miriam, and Steve Brasati. 
the author of the rise and fall of the dinosaurs who just seems right tickled that we were talking about his book on our recent bonus episode i don't i didn't get the idea that he listened to the episode but i'm glad that he acknowledged our existence he i don't know he followed it up he, he said that he we seemed to get what he was going for oh did he follow it up? yeah oh, he boy. did do we do we follow him on twitter now oh dang can you go do that we real should. quick yeah i'm gonna go follow him on twitter okay thank you mm-hmm. um so then I'll say that, that we have a website, overduepodcast.com. It's got he stuff does seem on surprised it. that we covered his book for no reason, <laughs> like several years after it came out. Andrew, tell me about the website and all that stuff. The website is overduepodcast.com. Up there we have links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, our RSS feed. Uh, those are all ways you can subscribe to the show. You can also find us on Stitcher and Spotify, pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, you can... Support the show, patreon.com slash overdue pod. You can look at episodes that we like that if you're a new listener, if you're not just listening in order or listening to books that you have heard of, those are episodes that we think sum up the show pretty well. Um, I also want to do just a quick plug. I haven't talked about this on any of my podcasts yet, but Craig did a a side piece, a side project called Seinfeld triple X. It's Seinfeld XXX in your podcast catcher. Yeah, that's what it's called. <laughs> it's really weird. Cause we, we call it Seinfeld triple X, but we have to spell out Seinfeld XXX whenever you want to talk about it. But so he did this with our speaking of like friends who become family. He did this with our friend, Chris Holden, who we both know from college. They're both big sign fans and they are committed to talking about every episode of the TV show Seinfeld on the 30th anniversary of the date that it originally aired. Every and episode so it is, always, is, is always a 30th built. celebration of the episode <laughs> that we are And they covering. also talk about other things that were happening at the time. So it's really just a good commentary on what the end of the cold war was like mostly so far but they have done the whole first season it's available everywhere you get podcasts and i was tickled by it and maybe you will be too thank you andrew for that plug when when the bones zone you can also find the podcast at seinfeld.rocks yeah i do think i need to post some more episodes actually because i've been caring about this podcast instead um (laughs) and when, when the bone zone comes out andrew we will need to talk about the bone zone Oh, of course. Uh, people who follow of course. you on Twitter know about the Bone Zone. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, we have our schedule. I should have posted it by now, but it'll be up by the time this podcast goes up for July, which includes this book in the first mm-hmm. slot. Uh, yep. Coming up next week is Mockingjay, the final or third Hunger Games book. Um, we'll follow that with Hour of the Star by Clarice Lispector and then Deacon King Kong by James McBride. Uh, and then our Genie Babies episode, our combo Genie Babies, Genie Babies episode will come out. Um, so you'll get that on your on the main feed for folks who are not Patreon subscribers. I think that's it, Andrew. The fireworks are happening still. I my okay. So I haven't heard any big booms in a little while. I heard the... wailing guitar thirty seconds ago. <laughs> You've so. got like a musical element to your fireworks that I'm glad that we don't have. But <laughs> my son is, has, we put a white noise machine like straight under his head. He's stayed asleep all night so far. He's a little trooper. Um, Yeah. So, all right. Happy fireworks, everybody. And until we talk to you next time, try to be happy.
That was a HeadGum Podcast.